Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. My name is Josh Lyons. I've been listening to Hardcore and Punk since 1995. I have book shows, put out a fanzine, run a record label, and now I'm doing a podcast. This is the Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. All right, before we jump into this episode, we're going to check out a song by the band The Triumph. The song we're going to listen to is called 1794. So I put two and two together there and decided that you're pissing me off. That song was called 1794, and it was by The Triumph. And uh, my guests today play drums for that band, so we'll be talking about that band quite a bit in a little bit. This is Enterprise Hardcore Podcast, episode 28. As always, you can find us on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. There you will find all the streaming information as well as social media. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. Uh, so, yeah, my guest today is Nick Lumisis. How's everything going for you, Nick? Ah, you know, as decent as you could. I uh, try to, obviously, this is during COVID time, hopefully on the way out, but basically the way I like to describe it is we're stuck in second or third gear, even though there's four or five years in this transmission, but at least we're moving. That's pretty much a, yeah, analogy. Yeah, no, that sounds about right, man. Uh, I actually had to get a COVID test. Like, I didn't have symptoms, but I was just seeing people that I wanted to make sure that, you know, it was negative four, and so that even that was a, a kind of a hassle, you know, so I can only imagine, like, what can the vaccine is going to be like. For sure, and it seems like a lot of different new ones are coming out, and so that's a whole other topic, obviously, on its own, but it's, uh, it's interesting, to say the least. But, yeah. yeah, definitely. So, all right, so, yeah, we're going to kind of talk to you about Rochester Hardcore, obviously, because, you know, it's a big part of this, but uh, before we talk about that, let's kind of talk about your upbringing a little bit. Sure thing. Uh, so, I was born in Aiken, South Carolina, and um, from there, moved up to the New Jersey, New York City area for until about third grade. Um, from there, moved out to uh, Fairport, where I kind of stuck out like a sore thumb and was not really down with the whole, uh, you know, red, white, and blue, hurrah, rah, you know, the sort of uh, Fairport lifestyle coming from New Jersey. Uh, it was just a little different, but at the same time, um, settled in, lived there until high school, then went downtown Rochester and uh, have stayed there ever since. So um, overall, started playing drums in like symphonic bands in maybe sixth, seventh grade and 
kind of hated it. it um, I played piano a little bit and did some other stuff beforehand and didn't really find the right instrument. I always wanted to play the drums. They always seemed like the funnest and always seemed like the best instrument, but to get a whole drum set going and to start that whole process takes forever. So they give you that uh, you know, $10 practice pad and you just click on that for a while, but it's nothing like playing the real drums. So after a while, I kind of dropped out of the symphonic band, finally got the regular drum set going and um, started doing a couple of uh, you know, punk rock, hardcore bands, you know, with uh, people like you know, Travis Johansson and Jeff Weisenborn, well, Nick Parker way back in the day playing the MXPX covers and the NoFX and all that basement stuff, you know, and then uh, <clears throat> from there, great memory with those guys was one time at, at the Fairport High School Battle of the Bands, we played and uh, I thought it'd be fun to just smash my drum set at the end of this thing because that's something that you see on TV or whatever and it's kind of like a badass thing to do. So at the very end of the uh, Jimi Hendrix All Along the Watchtower, I destroyed my whole drum set and threw it uh, down and uh, then I realized that we had to play another one the next day or later in the night or whatever and I uh, had to play in a damaged drum set which is kind of like a hilarious thing but trying to be punk rock but that was just kind of a funny memory of that since I was in video somewhere. Uh, but you know overall those guys and a lot of Fairport people kind of play together, they all jam together, same thing with uh, bands like Professor Within and um, you know Dave Sestito and Eric Fuchs and all those people back then so uh, you know lots of uh, fun memories and lots of going to the Fairport Teen Center, seeing a bunch of bands, obviously ones that you've booked there too, and uh, I know we can talk a little bit about that, I'm sure. So. Yeah, so it sounds like that was kind of your introduction to punk and hardcore then, pretty much, then kind of Fairport and, and linking up with those guys then. Yeah, and uh, specifically the one that was the biggest eye-opener to me ever was uh, at, uh, at the VFW when uh, it was a Strike Anywhere, Stand Fast, and um, I'm trying to think who else was on that, maybe like Brothers Keeper or something, but that one of those shows was one of those like eye-opening kind of like, okay, what's going on here? Yeah, you're, you're blending two shows together. The, the main one I think you're talking about was uh, Stanfest, Strike Anywhere, Count Me Out, Miles Between Us, Wrong the Oppressor, and maybe one other band. And then there was a Brothers Keeper show a couple months ago, a couple months later at the same place. Okay. But um, interestingly enough, that was 2001, and I, I had planned on telling you before the interview that I kind of wanted to ask you questions about 2001 because that's a year that uh, Greg Benoit and I are doing an episode on the next couple weeks because uh, obviously it's 20 years since 2001 and so there's obviously as you're mentioning now some pretty cool shows that happened that year sure. and a lot of really good releases that came out both in Rochester and like uh, nationally that year too so that was a really good time that was a really good time and it sounds kind of like that's when things were really kind of starting to come together for you for like hardcore and stuff was around that time Right, right. So, you know, the whole gang of us would always go to every show we possibly could in Syracuse and in Buffalo and all over the place. And I was kind of reminiscing about one of the memories of uh, first time, you know, seeing the straight edge vegan thing and whatnot in full effect. You know, Syracuse definitely does it crazy with the, they like kegs of root beer and while you're waiting in line and, you know, lots of burritos and vegetarian vegan options and stuff. And uh, once again, I'm not straight edge. I'm not vegan. Well, at the same time, I can appreciate the lifestyles, and it's kind of a good thing to have your eye opening too when you're young, and that way you can kind of appreciate it as you're old. Or now everyone's going, you know, plant based like it's some brand new thing. But obviously, it's uh, been going for a while. Yeah, it's something you and I have known about for a long time, and and obviously, uh, I am I am vegan and have been for a while. And uh, as we'll talk about in a little bit, I enjoyed, uh, you know, a little business venture you had for a little bit there. Um, cool. But yeah, so around this time, the first band of yours that I booked was Borderline, but I'm pretty sure you played in at least one band before that uh, of, of this kind of... There was another band, Shard of Glass, with uh, Nick Parker and Keith Ruggieri, and we played a couple shows. We played with um, uh, Age of Ruin, I think, over at like the 
uh, Rocket Cafe or whatever the place that was uh, across the street from the where the Owl House is right now, and um, did a couple other hardcore metal type of shows. But it was kind of a short-lived band, but it was a lot of fun. It was a trio, um, and then from there, uh, myself and Travis Johansson, Jeff Weisenborn, Berkeley Besner, uh, Brian Young, and then uh, originally Troy Rank. We had a rotating bass player situation for a little bit, but all those guys were some of the core key members, and we uh, played um, one of the, my favorite shows with you was either the Fall Silent show at the Bug Jar, because I grew up listening to Fall Silent and thinking that there was this unobtainable band from across the country that I'd never get to see, and then you asked for, uh, for us to open up, and that was like one of those cool, cool things to do. And then the other one, obviously, you know, I'm wearing actually right now, uh, every time I die shirt out of the many I have, but you know, I can't deny that uh, that show was uh, definitely groundbreaking for me. Yeah, that was a good show, and I and I and uh, the every time I die one that you're talking about, I definitely lost money that night. And it's interesting to think about like every time I die, remembering number, remembering never, uh, Atreyu, and I forget who else, but like just all those bands Dead together. To Dead to Fall was on that tour too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all those bands together, like, and I and it only drew like, I mean, but this is back then, like before those bands had really blown up like that, you know. So it's just crazy to think about them playing the Penny Arcade with you guys and mm-hmm. and not a ton of people being there. Whereas now, if they all played, it would be like water street filled up you know so yeah, to do like a three-day fest like they do in buffalo you know it's, it's crazy yeah, yeah so but really um, great to see those guys going hard uh i saw them uh with uh ghost face and a couple other people that took part in one of the most recent concerts unfortunately during covid but that was a really good time for sure and seeing them every christmas show you can go to obviously is a good time yeah those are definitely cool um but like the bands you were doing like for people that weren't familiar like what kind of style would you say like between shardic glass uh, and borderline so, so Sharded Glass was a little bit more like screamo-y, kind of like mashy, uh, like emotional hardcore kind of thing like that, but overall more of like a hardcore vibe. And then Borderline started off as like a sort of screamo, emo, hardcore like thing, and then eventually kind of warped its way into a little bit more mashier, metal-y thing. And then at the very end, it was either kind of like, you know, you kind of got to pick which direction you're going to go. Are you going to go tech metal? Or are you going to go, you know, which way or this way? And then it kind of fizzled apart and then there's a couple other bands that came about from that uh travis and jeff went to a band called opus uh that was more even kind of thrashy uh and then um i eventually kind of did a bunch of random projects with other people the next one was with ryan shannon and uh, uh christina ginger and um nate golia and uh sometimes roy golia as well he played guitar in there and we played a that thieves auction band so that was a old school more like um really really traditional uh just you know two-step um you know very short songs and uh very quick you know and the band the triumph eventually transitioned into the triumph so some of the people stayed so it was myself and ryan shannon and then we had sean carney come play bass and uh that was a really good fit and we uh had a good time with that one and that was the band that you booked us that we played with bane and we were more in that kind of uh, a trial slash um you know, think, think of bad business, think of, um, you know, that era of, uh, you know, just fun sing-along 30-second songs with ridiculous song titles, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was a really good era for hardcore. All right, so, yeah, we were talking about, like, Thieves Auction and the Triumph. So this is, like, 2003, 2004, 2005 era at that point then, right? Right, right. Um, A, a couple sidebar things I kind of want to talk about while we're talking about those years just to kind of – we don't have to jump back there is uh like not things that you or i really had a hand in but we were kind of more like 
flags on the wall for was like Hellfest and stuff like that around that era. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and don't forget pre-Hellfest, obviously. Yeah, pre-Hellfest, obviously, like, you know, we were more involved with because it was our local thing. But that, that, that whole era, like, again, jumping back from like 2001, even a little bit before that, oh, yeah. uh, all the way in was really fun. Like, what are some kind of standout memories for you from those years, from from all the Hellfest and whatnot? Ah, so the overall, the favorite thing at any of the Hellfest would probably have to be the Lamb of God, Wall of Death, because it was truly just a giant collision of people, and you can see that on the Hellfest DVD. Um, but then the very most insane thing ever was Bad Luck 13, uh, Riot Extravaganza, who played in New Jersey. So this was the had to move to New Jersey after being in Syracuse for all the years, and those were crazy and fun for sure. But this very uh, this one and only at the Rexplex, they brought it down there, and as we were waiting in line to get into Hellfest, we heard uh, a announcer person come on and say that someone just jumped off a balcony and broke both their legs and almost got paralyzed, and that if the stuff keeps up, then they're going to shut the whole festival down. And this was at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon on the first day of the thing, when, and half the people weren't even in yet. So it definitely had a little bit of a recipe for disaster to begin with, but it was a really cool area where they had you know, rock climbing and a skate park and paintball and go-karts and like every random thing you could possibly think of all in one thing. So you walk in and you see Unearth playing on a soccer field and every time I die is playing like a bat, you know, like it's like, what's going on here, you know? So I got to see, uh, um, what is that, uh, really good band? It was before Between the Buried and Me, it was, uh, oh my gosh, it's going to drive me crazy. What was that uh, North Carolina brutal? Undying? Band? Not them, but they- Prayer for Cleansing? Prayer for Cleansing. I got to see the Prayer for Cleansing reunion in there. There's a couple other really fun things. Andrew WK was absolutely sold the entire show. That was absolutely insane. But on the very last day, second or third to last band was Bad Luck 13 from the Philadelphia area. And they're banned in a lot of places, and they've got a big reputation. You can look up their videos on the internet. They're absolutely insane. They're kind of like the original Slipknot, so to speak. So uh, in like an actual real kind of crazy, just weird way. But either way. When I was uh, in the bathroom, I heard uh, two security guards talking, saying, if you see anybody with the wiffle ball bats, let them know, because they've taken away the merch, which was wiffle ball bats that they're selling at their table over and over and over again. They keep on getting more wiffle ball bats. So right right off the bat, I was like, you know, huh, huh. I was like, you know, what's what's going on with this shit? Uh, and then if you ever want to watch the video, it's all over YouTube. But basically, it ended in tons of frozen light bulbs and crazy things on fire and the most, you know, like, yeah, just absolute mayhem, just like they wanted it. And... Uh, I think Fear Factory and Kitty never got to play, and they kind of got shut down, which was kind of funny because they weren't really welcome to begin with. But yeah, yeah, it's crazy what that festival morphed into. Like I, I went for like the first few years, and then I, I missed the, the year that you're talking about. And I think the last year was in Syracuse. I didn't go to either. But yeah, that was that was really cool. And obviously, that that kind of influenced a lot of what's happening now with like a lot of hardcore festivals and stuff. And that was like one of the first like big ones like there had been a couple other ones but that was like one of the first ones where it was like you know huge like every big hardcore band was playing absolutely i think there was a couple of records that were broken at that time like bane had the most stage dives ever or something like that and then there's you know hate breed was absolutely ridiculous i remember just some of the bands like the amount of people you used you don't remember you don't realize how many bands you know some of these bands bring you know there's just like everyday people you know but yeah yeah, no, that was that was a good era, and and obviously, like I was saying before, we had a lot of good stuff going on, uh, in and around Rochester during that time too. That that now that I'm looking back on it, was just really influential, and it's just crazy to think about, you know. Speaking of Bane, though, Bane at the Bug Jar was <clears throat> the ultimate shin killer out of any show I've ever been to. I looked like I got 
beat us with a bunch of canes the next day more than anything ever. It was just that was absolutely insane. Bane of Plugjark, that was awesome. That was another two. That was another two thousand one. Actually, speaking of two thousand one, yeah, that was like the end of two thousand one because I was living uh, down on Rector Street with uh, Rob Antonucci and, and a couple of those dudes. So yeah, just a really good, really good era, uh, really influential for for me and obviously a lot of other people. Anything else you want to touch on with with uh, Thieves Auction and, and the Triumph that we didn't uh, uh, talk talk about? One of the favorite moments for Thieves Auction. It was either at, I think it was at Bonefest, which was uh, Jeremy's little thing with all the free Belo shirts and everything back then. We had a shot, we had a song called Chicken Fight, which is basically just like the classic beat and everyone just chants Chicken Fight until everyone starts chicken fighting. And that was kind of just a hilarious memory. Uh, and all those shows in general, just the fact that you just say, was it, you tell everybody like, oh, we're having a birthday party, right? You know, or just say this and all of a sudden all these tour bands just show up and just, you know, that, that's kind of cool that it was able to go for so long and people didn't really mess up the venues you know for that type of situation but we, i remember us talking a little bit about how you know certain places were cool that had like uh was it atomic or not i'm sorry uh, analog shock shows that you know and a couple of these little venues that popped up out of nowhere that unfortunately had some issues but uh one other fun memories one time uh when brian rao put on a show in the back of where uh kind of where the rochester skate park is right now but under the bridge there's that little uh restaurant but behind there in the backyard you had like Warblade and all these other bands play and it was the loudest thing ever and there was so many complaints because I can't remember the numbers right now but that was also a funny uh, fun memory for sure yeah I think that might have been the Brickyard if I'm not mistaken that place yeah, but it, it was right downtown I don't think I was at that but but Rao definitely had a lot of uh, a lot of fun shows uh, kind of in a, in a weird time too because he booked stuff like at like elixir too or around those years and, and some of those i mean and obviously i'm gonna have him on here pretty soon so he'll talk more about that but yeah because he had a band arson ember so he, he booked his own band there on some of those bills and then you know he he, he booked a, a bunch of random mixed bills though for a couple of years i remember but i guess we could talk about that for a minute too you and him kind of jammed a little bit there on and off yeah. so we've had a couple of projects and a couple of people in and out and uh, unfortunately it was one of those keep on polishing keep on polishing and then you never end up you know taking it out it's like that uh endless car project that never gets to drive unfortunately and no one gets to see it but you know that that was there so we have some recordings and whatnot and i'm actually gonna get another drum set uh i just did actually purchase uh half of it right now so overall getting back into it and i don't know if anyone knew or heard but um all my stuff got stolen when i was doing my restaurant thing from the practice space over on saint paul and also dave Sestito's stuff and my buddy miles and we had a couple bands in there that all had uh, a shared space and the uh, the guy who was in the news again for kicking out all those people, the slumlord, uh, John Tricky. So he was the guy that ran that and he was, there's a bunch of protests for when he was kicking out the family like uh, about a month ago, whatever, that was one of his properties. That's the same dude? Same dude, yeah. Wow. And, uh, yeah. and then uh, the guy that actually stole the stuff was Don Flute, who was working for him, which if you've had a practice space there, you know that guy, he's uh, the guy that lives underneath the stairs. So there's a, he's a bald with a skirted eggshell mullet out the back, and he looks like the guy um, Riff Raff from the, uh, not the rapper, but the, um, from Rocky Horror Picture Show. And this guy, uh, when the police showed up, was butt naked, and uh, my drum set was nowhere to be found, nothing was anywhere to be found, both at the same time. Um, he was living there illegally and all this weird stuff, and it was just kind of ironic that he was living illegally, but then John Tricky doesn't want people living legally, and he owns these buildings. So uh, that guy, uh, you know, would not come to the court thing, which ended up getting picked up. And I, I know this sounds ridiculous, but 
happened from time to time where Judge Judy somehow picked up the thing and they were going to get us uh, a flight to California to go hang out with Jeremy and Ryan and everybody out there. And I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then we're going to get this whole thing paid for. It'll be great. Helen at CBS.com was going back and forth with emails with us. And we were all like, yeah, let's do it. And then they never agreed to do it. So unfortunately, that never happened. But that would have been a ridiculous one for sure. Yeah, and for for the fellow wrestling fans out there, the dude you're talking about reminds me of this uh, wrestling promoter named Herb Abrams, who uh, they found that dude uh, covered in Vaseline uh, with a bunch of hookers and cocaine, and that sounds like something that that dude probably would have been into as well. So, but I guess another another local band that you had ties to in the beginning there uh, was uh, Borrowed Time. So, and that's and that's interesting because Labatt's is a good old friend of ours too. So. Yeah. Did you ever play any shows with those guys, or did you just kind of jam with them in the it beginning? Was, it, it was more or less like, and it was like that with a couple bands where it was like, you know, first lineup or something, or you know, substitute drummer for this or that. I was kind of always playing the entire time, and so you know, even even you and I had a little thing for two seconds with uh, Ray Smiley from uh, Marvel Singer Affair and a couple other people, and um, there's been a lot of just like fun things that just you're always looking for that one member. Or you just don't have a singer, so you or you forget the song, or you know. But it's uh, there's a lot of those things where nowadays I feel like everyone's got the recording studio in their shot and you know GoPro cameras and this and that. You know, it's a lot more friendly as opposed to just having to remember it and then hopefully record it and hopefully play it again. You know, so obviously technology and everything's a lot better now. But um, when uh, I was looking over this thing of just some fun memories from uh, back then and um. Obviously, one of the top shows, period, of that situation was the FanFest final show at St. Joe's. That's definitely, like, a highlight of, like, forever. That was an incredible time with, uh, with Nakatomi Plaza. And uh, I think, uh, did I say St. Joe's? Yeah, I think it was for that. Um, it was also Break of Dawn's last show. Yeah. yeah so Break of Dawn obviously crushed it. That's actually, Break of Dawn's one of the first uh, local or even hardcore bands I ever heard. My sister went to one of their shows at, like, Bell's Road Park and got a demo tape, that, uh, that white cassette, and... Uh, I remember listening to that, just like, what is this? And uh, back then, only, you only heard maybe Snapcase or something like that on WBER. But uh, yeah, yeah, Break of Dawn was definitely an, an influential local band, and and that's some a band that I haven't really talked to anybody from their band on this podcast yet. It'd be cool to get one of those dudes on here at some point. Obviously, I have a, a pretty good backlog of people I, I want to get on here as well, but those guys, you know, definitely uh, did their thing. And, and I'll agree with you though that that last Stanfest show was crazy. I, my, one of my favorite things about St. Joe's. And places like that, uh, Eli Fagan as well, uh, but more so I'm thinking of St. Joe's because I did this more there. Is like there there wasn't a stage there, so I would just set up like chairs and just jump off those onto people. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah, they had that, but I mean there weren't too many shows like that Stanfest show where there was that many people where you could just jump on people like that. But that show was, dude, there had to have been like, a, and that goes back to that Thursday show that I booked where we had like, a small venue, and at both. Yeah. Right, the yeah, both those shows though, there was like 300 people easily at those two shows, and those places don't hold anywhere near that. You know, I, I think about that kind of stuff now that I'm about to be 40, and you know, you having been a business owner, and and obviously we'll get into that kind of stuff, but like, I would never like, I don't know how I would even do it now, but I would never let like fucking 300 people into a room that holds like 65 in, at this point in my life. Like, can you imagine? Yeah. That proves how, you know, tight of a, you know, situation it is, you know. Yeah. But I was just thinking about the 
Yeah, I was just thinking about the logistics, though, of, like, what were to happen if this were to happen or that were to happen and there were these many people in this small room with one exit and, you know. And now with, with uh, COVID and all that kind of stuff, too, we're definitely not going to be filling anything up to capacity anytime soon, you know. I don't know what they're going to do when there's going to be shows, but it's going to be, the fire market you know. Yeah. Have you seen those, I think it's the Flaming Lips that are doing those, like, bubble or, like, pod? I have not, but they're on my list of bands that I want to see for sure at some point. I hear they're the the absolute best band live, but, yeah. We saw them here, I think we even won free tickets, I don't know, because I I feel like we wouldn't have paid, but they played at the Armory one year, like, what, like, ten years ago? They were good, but they're one of those bands that I'm not as into, and they played for, like, three hours, or it felt like it, you know, it was probably, like, two, but it felt like three hours, you know? Um... But they were cool. Well, yeah, I think they already had the bubble and shit like that going. Because I think he would already go into one of those, right. like, what, I don't know if it's a bubble or some kind of pod type thing. And just kind of, like, crowd surf through the crowd. And, uh, yeah, so that was that was something they were already kind of doing. And I, I haven't seen the videos or footage, but it seems like a band like that could probably pull something off, you know. And I think another thing we're probably going to see more of is the live stream, too, unfortunately, obviously, too. You know, bands are just going to have to get creative with that. So, But I think we'll see some shows, you know, if not later this year, next year. What kind of other crazy, crazy things do, have you seen that you'd want to talk about like at, like, hardcore shows and stuff? Because a couple memories come to mind for me. Um, I know you and I had tried to record this before, and there was one that came to my mind that I'll probably uh, bring up again. But is there anything you can think of, like when you think of just like crazy shit that you've seen, yeah, like? Um, well, uh, I got a couple there. Like one of them was uh, when you lost your tooth during um, uh, what was it? That band coming for exit, right? I think out in uh, out in the basement show or whatever like that, and then like finding it later it was at Lightland to stop and like find your tooth, and it was kind of like that was like a ridiculous thing. That was like definitely a memory. Um, another one was the that band Monine that also played there, but uh, they had this weird tradition of just giving the one guitar player a giant wedgie like at the end of a song and they just like pulling him around by like a, the most crazy tidy whitey wedgie you've ever seen in your entire life and that was definitely a memory and that band was hilarious Canadian money and they got big too I mean they played around here a bunch but then they uh they stuck with it they were uh they, they got, like, I forget what label they went to but they took that I think they got signed somewhere yeah I can't remember either but that's another crazy thing about that era is just how many of those bands like not just like like bands that were influential like to hardcore but just so many bands got signed to labels ended up doing big tours uh and just stuck around for many years you know so but what else uh what else do you got for uh first of all one time we had a fake band called slip smack where it's we didn't know how to play any of the instruments and would all just push the instruments around and just like jam like crazy wearing giant bags on our heads wearing these suits and just mess around completely and that was just an absolutely ridiculous one-off band same thing with uh, my buddy Ryan Costanza had Face Teeth, which was a ridiculous band that played a couple times. And some of those bands we played at, uh, like, um, the ex- Extremes. Um, I remember once someone got all these bobblehead dolls and put them everywhere, and everyone was just, like, punching walls and throwing these bobbleheads everywhere. And it was just kind of a crazy show with Outbreak. Uh, that was definitely a fun show for sure. That was an Outbreak. I, I booked one Outbreak show there. I'm not sure if it was that one or not. It could have been a different one. Um, but I booked Face – I think I booked Face Teeth on another show – I remember giving Ryan like thirty dollars too, because it was a really well attended show, and he was just like shocked that I had money for their shitty band or whatever, you know. Selling like spaghetti in a plastic bag for merch. (laughs) That was a fun time for sure. Uh, And then one time, I don't know if anyone listens to the band, but demos that's in the hardcore. They're they're 
sort of rock you know style band, not hardcore, but they're but they're really good. But uh, the demo Cal Saunders is a bass player, and then he worked uh, at um, the restaurant Beef and was a really fun guy to you know play with. Still is obviously, but he ended up being in this kind of like noise band. We we just we, we put every single string on the guitar was all tuned to the same note, and then we did something other something else real weird. And we showed up with like a saxophone player, a DJ, and like 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 seven or eight people that never played before. And we showed up uh, as like a quote unquote like jazz band or something for City Grill. And it was like on a Sunday at City Grill. And we just showed up and just fucking noise cored the fuck out of the whole place. And it was pretty awesome just because they had no idea what was coming. And they were like, what is this? And everyone's just trying to like drink their mimosas. And they're just like just destroying them on like a Sunday afternoon. So that was fun. How long did they let you play for before they were just kind of like, all right, enough of this? Uh, it was a good amount of time, you know, maybe like three, four songs, you know, and it's just like, hey, can you guys quiet down? It's like, yeah, we're done. We have nothing more to do. Like, this is it, you know, like, it was, but it was really loud and a lot of noise, so that was kind of fun. So, yeah, I know some of our, our, our stories, we can't go into too many, of the, as many of the details, but I know there's some pretty funny uh, stories where we ended up trading some merch with yeah. some bands and or rappers. Yeah. hang out with them till like the sun came up pretty much then or yeah, like I, so I, I, I went twice and um, the first time it was like like twice I'm sorry by twice you mean two separate concerts obviously right like two separate uh, the same the same night so the first time 
Funny to think about you giving them them shirts and then possibly playing like, uh, like I don't know, like Rally Durham the next day or something, and, and then one of those guys being on stage wearing that shirt, you know? It, it definitely had to happen, and I looked on, it, on the internet everywhere for it, trying to find it for days. I was like, it's like every day, like looking on Google Images, trying to find all the tags, trying to do it all. So it's, I want you to buy locally grown and have a stone knuckle frame with the 585 Flower City logo on the hat and everything. It was just like. Uh, so it's like definitely like a very unique sort of thing. And I did find on some weird blog, and I don't know if it was like a German girl or an Austrian girl or some random person, but they had like weird fonts with all the weird umlauts and dots and stuff. And they were posting about something and saying that like someone threw them a t-shirt that had this on it and they didn't know what it was or something. So I think one of them like threw their shirt to like a crowd person or something at some point. So I do know that they at least like brought it with them, but I'm sure those guys get free stuff all the time, but it's kind of a funny one for sure. Yeah, no, it's the whole, the whole story is pretty funny. So, uh, before we dive into the next topic, I had something funny that I was kind of thinking of before you did the interview that, uh, I never mentioned to you that I was going to ask you about, uh, in my phone, your name is saved as uh, Rick Nemesis, and I think you could even throw in a uh, ruthless Rick Nemesis too. Do you have any uh, uh, anything to say about the background or any sort of, uh, or is that more just? Uh... Um, I uh, I kind of not really like I don't know, I, I, I had like an alter ego kind of thing, sort of they called it. I think Jeff Weisenborn might have been the or Despido or one of them might have been the one to call it, but all of a sudden. It would be Nick Lemesis, and then I turned into Rick Nemesis, and then it's like, rut row, what's going to happen sort of thing. And uh, I feel like, um, I don't know, many things have resulted in that. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of any particular fun ones or not. But, you know, I one time parked my car in the car repair at Pittsburgh Wegmans and then got banned from all three Christian properties and made them call the cops on me, and it was this huge thing. And then got a ticket out of jail for free cars uh, a week or two later from Benchy Wegman and Danny Wegman because they sat at my table. So I've always worked in the restaurant industry and um, we've had a lot of run-ins with fun people and important people. Also, we had a little crew that worked with the uh, Hyatt Valet, uh, Regal Valet, and got to meet, you know, like, you know, Park Big Joe's car and, you know, Kevin Bacon Brothers band comes through and you're like, I swear, is that Kevin Bacon over there? Oh, no, look at you. Like, is it really was? You're like, okay, you know, things like that. Just, uh, we had some fun times with, uh, food and beverage scene, you know, like, I worked at the Strap Allen, you know, you're sitting there and all of a sudden two chains walked out of the door and told you, oh, hey, you know, or B.O.B. and Wale are editing a video in a booth over there and, you know, the other table's complaining because there's, like, you know, big booty bitches dancing around on the screen and they pay so much money for their dinner, while at the same time, the, you know, B.O.B. and Wale are, like, diamond platinum members of the Hilton, so they can't get kicked out, you know, so it's just, uh, I don't know, stuff like that, but... 
that actually dives right into the next topic too uh is what i kind of wanted to ask you about is like you know what you've done uh since hardcore obviously and we alluded to it a little bit before with the restaurant um you know unfortunately it's you know it's still not going on now but what kind of tell us but what kind of what was going on with that for the you know when you had it going on there so um i worked i've been working in food and beverage since i was 15 and uh so it's been 20 years now so um i've literally you know climbed the ladder from literally working washing dishes at wendy's spraying the fucking sea salt off the shit you know just doing the things i gotta do you know to all the way up to uh working for you know dominique penn out in san francisco who's the first female to have two michelin stars now the only to have three and uh you know i gotta give a shout out to ryan Cassandra for that too for uh um you know working out there he's still killing it he's uh doing the chef stuff out there but it seems like you know the passion for anything in life you know food and beverage is something that you gotta eat you gotta drink you might as well think about it you might as well do it right you might as well try to do it right so um i worked with uh someone um pam hathaway at uh warfield's high point which was in the constellation headquarter building and it was this really fancy fine dining restaurant and uh, we did like one event that later but either way we all met there and then kind of parted our ways and eventually years later pam wanted to do a plant-based restaurant but it's obviously lots and lots of work to do stuff like that and basically for my helping with all of that and setting up you know doing things and we had all we have a different complementary set of skills and basically it was you know equal ownership if we both you know worked on this thing together so we had this project we went to you know 30 40 locations checked out a bunch of stuff finally got a really good idea together but needed funding and once again i think social media is definitely a little bit evil but also it could be also awesome it's just like a tool like a power tool it's how you use it you know a chainsaw could be murder or it could be building a house you know so um basically when it comes to social media uh keith savino was hanging out on a, a vegan rochester page and was trying to do a food truck at the time and so we kind of linked up with one of our potlucks we went to and we had these recipes and surveys we were making people taste and kind of getting really into it grassroots style kind of grassroots but uh overall overall Keith uh, ended up joining in, so we were all third partners equal, and then kind of uh, got Mark Damara back from uh, from California. He was working at Warfield as well, so we got some of the old gang together. I stole a bunch of people from the Scrap Allen, and uh, then we kind of started off and did everything plant-based, everything made from scratch, everything non-GMO, everything made right there, and uh, we had a bakery making all the French stuff. We had um, you know fresh cracked coconuts. Uh, even the, you know, the whole bar was no soda guns, no corn syrup, no nothing. You know, everything was completely just legit with, uh, you know, happy earth tea, Joe Bean coffee, you know, just everything done the right way. So it was unfortunate because it was a little, uh, just, you know, really nice. Everything was done well, but a little bit, sometimes we're talking about how it's a phenomenon and maybe it's changing slowly, but I feel like sometimes vegetarian and vegan people might not treat themselves to a really fancy, crazy money, you know, baller's meal, you know, at Star or Scrap Allen or something like that, because it is wasteful sometimes. You know, not everyone's eating bacon wrapped steak all the time. You know, it's completely understandable. However, if it's your birthday or you're celebrating or an anniversary, this or that, don't you want to sit back and relax and eat something out of a meal, you know, menu that you know you can eat the whole thing and everything's good for you? So um, that was kind of the principle about it. And we wanted to not even label it as a vegan restaurant because that word is, you know, like PETA, people are really triggered by it, whether it's good or bad. It's kind of like almost, you know, seems stigmatized. So uh, when you hear the word vegan, you think you're going to get, you know, a uh, windshield wiper flyer and you're going to get like, you know, grilled about how much soy you do or don't eat, you know, it's like, come on, you're a, you're a fat. So 
speech, did everything, you know, the right way, quote unquote. But unfortunately, we were open for a little bit over maybe like two and a half, three years. Basically, uh, the rent's too high and the bu- bu- uh, building's still sitting there right now. So if you ever want to see it, you just look inside. It's on East Ave in Style. But Moe's Burritos is next door to us. They closed like eight months before we did. So if a national chain that just has burritos and like two employees and a Coke machine can't do it, it's hard to have a a catering kitchen, a bakery, a whole full staff of people, you know, and then on top of that, you know, paying for everything else. So what are you going to do? It was a great learning lesson. And, uh, you know, I definitely feel like I've grown from it. Well, at the same time, you know, it is devastating to try to get something going so ambitious. And then, you know, I owned a restaurant before I was 30, but then also I, you know, helped uh, blow a lot of money by accident. You know, so it's like, what are you going to do? You know, it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting part of my life, but at the same time, now I uh, do more wine stuff. I work at a uh, local winery here and do sales and uh, basically just, you know, do educational wine stuff. And I'm big into the wine world all day. It's like pretty much all I do now is uh, food and beverage stuff still, but for other people to, to actually get paid. <laughs> do you think in a post-COVID world, do you think like uh, you could take the lessons that you learned from the, the Vive experience and try to do something like that again? Or do you think it's kind of something where you're like, I've, I've kind of gone down that path already and I'm not going to... I have a couple of ideas and a couple of possibilities. I don't think my restaurant world <laughs> is over or done. I think there's more chapters coming, but I don't know exactly how. But I do think that, you know, if anyone's got any money and spaces and ideas, you know, let's talk. But uh, at the same time, it would be one of those things where it would have to be so bulletproof. Like, you know, I always say the meteor hit the front of the building and you had to rebuild for six months and keep everyone employed, you know, and basically COVID did that, you know, yeah. now how do you be COVID proof? You, what do you have to have like a million dollars in the bank just sitting there? And it's like, well, if you don't want to use that million dollars towards advertising and towards, you know, decoration and towards, you know, everything, you know, you gotta, it's like, if you're not using all your money, you're not trying, you know? So it's like, it's an interesting, you know, all in or not kind of a business. And I feel like, you know, if I were to do it again, it might be, to be honest, it'd probably be like another kind of owl housey thing, but in a different concept, you know, everyone can eat there if you're vegan or if you're gluten free or if you have a crazy allergy, it would be super sensitive, it's super good for all these different things. Well, at the same time, it would also be, uh, you know, should have, you know, local everything. That, that, it, it, something like that. But either way, you know, I, I guess as we'll get to in a second, I, I think uh, in the next couple of years, things will hopefully kind of return, Not n- maybe not per se to back the way they were, because as a few people have pointed out, like normal back then, you know, a couple of years ago probably isn't exactly what some of us would prefer. So, but I think that, you know, maybe we'll kind of have some sort of return to people doing the restaurant thing. And I think well, there'll be a need for more. It's interesting because you have seen like some businesses pop up still like throughout the COVID and the pandemic and whatnot, and and that just seems, you know, I, that's that's ballsy as fuck to me to be opening up a business right now, you know? Yeah, and the one thing is, is you got to strike when the iron's hot, and, like, when you get the funding and you get the lease or you get the this and that, then all of a sudden you have it and you're stuck for it until it gets paid for or whatever, so, you know, you kind of got to do it and you got to do it, but there is going to be a big settling, and, you know, as all this stuff closes and certain things were meant to close, certain things shouldn't have been open to begin with, but certain things we're really sad to see go away, you know, obviously a lot of them, you know, I don't wish, you know, ill upon any people that try to do their own thing and try to open up their own restaurant or whatever, you know, good for you. Um, but what I do see is, uh, you know, there's a bunch of new places that are open, a bunch of new buildings that need places, and they, maybe that's the, you know, in the wine world, 
there was something called phylloxera, which was this mite that went and destroyed all of the rootstock in the late 1800s, and everybody had to replant everything on uh, American rootstock. And when that happened, we would be drinking a lot more Spanish, a lot more Italian wine, but then when they got a chance to replant everything, they put a bunch of French stuff in there, and now we drink a bunch of French stuff. So there's a lot of like reasons for why things are the way they are, but if you don't have to reset and you don't have to shake it up, then why would you? You know, If it's not broke, don't fix it. But if everything's closing and everything's changing, you know, like what are all these new places going to be that open? You know, so it's, it's gonna be really interesting to see. Or maybe the city does something about it. And unfortunately, you know, Rochester is what it is. But you know, we don't have to really do a lot for the restaurants. It's unfortunate. Only places like the public market that can do like on Railroad Street, they have that spot set up so you can uh, have the outdoor dining. And they try to do a little bit with those glass huts that you see around uh, around town, and that's cool. But it's only fit one table in it. You know, and it's like. In my opinion, they should have shut down Park Ave Street and made it a walking zone all summer long, you know, and they should, you know, do the same thing. Maybe make one road one directional, you know, or just that. There's a lot of things they could do that all these other cities have done, but they're kind of lazy and maybe stuck with all. Obviously, we got other issues right now that are more important, but, yeah. Well, we actually, we, I had gone to get a COVID test the other day, just like I said, to make sure I didn't have it. It wasn't, you know, any concern, but, um... Mm-hmm. On the way back, we were driving through Monroe Ave. I mean, they could easily make that a walking or one-lane street. There's no businesses there now as it is. So, I mean, Absolutely. it was crazy. It's always the worst road ever. Yeah. might as well just put some tables on there. It was just crazy. Like, like between, like, uh, not to get too far into it, because people from, might be out of town listening to this, not familiar with the area, but people that are, between, like, uh, Wilcox and... and, and uh, uh, the old show world and Gitsies, there's like a lot of empty businesses there right now, man. It's crazy, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess a lot of stuff has moved over more to like South Ave and and Park Ave for that kind of area. Like, there's not as much like it Monroe. Seems to me, in general, that uh, Monroe Ave and South Ave switched. And I remember when we were talking about St. Joe's Hospitality House uh, being it was kind of sketchy, you know, in the you know late '90s. You know, the whole area is a little bit weird, and then. Now Monroe Ave is weird, and South Wedge is bumping, and it seems like South Wedge is the place to be, you know, so it's weird how the streets kind of flip. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on South Wedge, and I was thinking about another funny story, because we went to uh, Abundance uh, that same day, and there's a mutual friend of ours who, uh, again, I'm not going to throw too much information out there, because I don't know if he wants this story out there, but if we don't if we don't give names, he, you know, it's not like we're really yeah. saying that much, but... Uh, <laughs> That place where Abundance is, that's where that old music shop was, right in that big building. And, and uh, a friend of ours had, had said he wanted to put that guy out of business. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I can talk about that a little bit. Um, so I've got practice space drama at almost every place for literally no reason. And this, I, I've said this a thousand times. If you are a person who wants to make a bunch of practice spaces somewhere, you have a gold mine sitting in your hands because they're all really limited every practice space has something wrong with them the st paul practice space has the insane stairs that are ridiculous uh and then there's supposedly like a back elevator or something but no one has a key to it ever and it's a big pain you gotta load up the back of the building and it just sucks you gotta go up the stairs with all your shit and it's just a really pain especially after a gig and then on top of that the one over on uh um uh cosmic jams is pretty cool because it's like you know, a little bit more medley, a little bit more badass industrial feel, and you can kind of, like, be as loud as you want and do whatever 24 hours a day. It seems kind of like the cool, like, wax kind of thing, but you also feel like the walls are paper thin, and you could just headbutt through there, and, you know, all your stuff's gone, you know, so I feel like it's not enough security, and it's not quite, you know, like, it's not in quite a great location, you know, it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere, you know, I mean, off Satellite Ave or whatever, um, that's not in downtown. So, and then you got this, um, where Abundance is, uh, that guy, uh, was doing 
Not, what, was it, what was it called? Um, Equidone? Equidone, yeah. Yeah. So that place, uh, it was a great idea. You have a movie store in the front, and you have psychic space in the back. You sell people guitar strings. You sell people drum heads when they need it, little things here and there. It's perfect. But the guy was a complete asshole, and Kurt, yeah, and uh, no one would, he wouldn't, he's just literally just a mean guy. And uh, I've got one story with him where I had to rent for practice space. I mean, there's always something that bands have to do. We have to collect $17.55 from 20 different people and then get it together so you don't get a late fee. And you always get the late fee, and it's, a, it's just a huge process, but we've all been there. Uh, but either way, you got to keep your stuff safe, and you got to keep it accessible, and you got to go to the place. So what do you do? So you get a practice space here, and uh, the guy's a super weirdo. He, if you walk in with like an Arizona iced tea can in your hand, he'll run up to you and make sure that it's not beer, and always ask if anyone's partying or up to bad stuff. And he's just a complete weird little narky guy with a uh, black hat and a little like weird like kind of like those mosh hats that they wore for a while that were pretty popular, like Misery Signals mosh hat, but like a little bitty snip, mini brim one. And uh, it's a goofy hat. And one time. I called him up and I said, hey, man, I'm going to be late to work if I stop by there. Is there any way I could hit you up when I go on the way home from work? It's the same day, but if you didn't the late fee, I understand. I'll get there right now. And he goes, you got to come right now. It can't be later. <laughs> so rush. I'm probably going to be five or ten minutes late to work from this. Rush over to South Wedge. Go in the store. There's no one in there whatsoever. I'm like, uh, okay. And it's a music store filled with, like, drum sets and amplifiers and guitars everywhere. And I'm not a piece of shit, so I definitely did not take anything whatsoever but i stood there like an idiot sucking my thumb for like five minutes being like is anyone gonna come out like what if i want to buy something you know like what's the deal here you know like no one works here so i listen and i hear this arguing in the back and i walk closer to the wall and this guy was like dating this really young girl and she was talking shit and she stole his hat and hid it on him under the bed or something and she was like well i don't like your hat and he's like, well, that's immature of you. She's like, well, I am immature. I'm only like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, ooh, this is like a weird situation. And so finally they're like arguing and squabbling about how stupid the hat is or isn't and how immature they are or not. And I'm like, this is just ridiculous. So I knock on the door and I'm like, hey, like, could someone come out here? Like, I'm trying to pay rent. And so he comes out completely spooked, could not believe that anyone was in the, in the place, did not know idea I was in there, and, uh, and starts grilling me and be like, oh, how long were you here for? What's going on? I was like, long enough to hear about your stupid hat story. I agree, it's a stupid hat. Here's the rent. I gotta go, man. He, he got all mad. He's like, well, that's better. He took forever to count it and then got all in my face. And he's like, if anything's missing, I swear I'm like, dude, I don't have anything that I want from here. I'm literally just paying rent. I gotta go to work. Like, you're being ridiculous. And then he proceeded to follow me out, get all over my face and follow me almost to my car. Now we're on South Ave, just like walking this dude literally like six inches away from me. Like, what are you gonna do? Like, stab me or something you know i don't know so got all in his face and i i was like you look dude you're being ridiculous and then the next story maybe brian rao can figure uh, can finish out but uh that, that was the, the after that then uh the story continues that got that yeah uh yeah you know i never really played in any bands i kind of jam with you guys and some other people but there's like you said there's always I've heard other funny practice face stories, and, and and that would be an interesting idea for like. Uh, I'm surprised nobody's made like a TV show or a movie based based on like, yeah. you know, going to like practice spaces and stuff. So for any aspiring movie directors out there, there's your uh, your free idea. Building or one of those other ones might be okay, but I, I um I there's no like dedicated place to do this type of thing. You know? Yeah. It seems like the best bands have like their own cool little setup or house or garage or somewhere where they go and it's their own private little spot. It seems like the way to do it, but you know. 
Yeah, so we've kind of talked about the whole COVID thing quite a bit, I guess. But, like, how has that really affected, like, the way you work and everything? And, like, what do you think is going to be, like... So, it seems like things are kind of melting up. Like, it's a giant iceberg, and then little things are popping up here. Or maybe this place just got their open sign back on. Or this place finally just started to do this or that. So, it, it does feel like now that you can have uh, some private parties and you can do this or that, there's a little bit more flexibility. And overall... At least with my job, all the fun stuff I like to do with uh, the wine dinners and the pairings and the, um, you know, going to Ricky's festivals and, you know, all these different beverage things that are ultimately like four or 500 people walking around. So none of that stuff's allowed to happen. No wine dinners are allowed to happen. You can't cancel alcohol. You can't um, do any of the regular things. So it's kind of put me back to, to more, you know, just doing deliveries and kind of sort of doing the jack of all trades sort of job at the moment while, uh, things thaw out again but i can't wait for everything to be more uh more fun you know i want to have a big communal table and you know have everyone you know i got a little cool little rooftop area here that i'd love to just have a whole bunch of people out there you know but how many people do you invite and or are you cool or are you not cool or are you gonna wear a mask you're not gonna wear my age there's too many questions and too many you know things to deal with right now and it's like you don't want to blame anyone if they're wearing two masks and they're super worried about it you know what if they've got someone or something that's sensitive to them you know you don't want to be a jerk about that well at the same time you know Am I going to go up to someone? Do I like babysitting people and saying, hey, man, like, do this, do that? You know, it, it sucks. You know, we're not supposed to be policing everybody all the time, but, you know, who's going to, you know, you know it, it's, it's a shit show. It really is right now. Can't wait for this uh, to kind of thaw more. But, yeah. yeah, I don't think anybody ever really would have uh, thought we'd be in for a ride like this. It's just pretty crazy that this whole thing is kind of gone down the way it has you know i think we all kind of thought it was gonna be a few weeks maybe a couple months and now we're, we're pushing a year pretty much you know so it's uh it's pretty crazy otherwise though you know i guess the only, only other like current event type stuff would be like you know like black lives matter and like police and stuff like that um any general uh feeling on any of that kind of stuff or yeah i mean my basic thing is everyone's human and we all need to realize that and we all need to act like that and you know, you can point fingers and you can do this and do that, but basically the brighter the light, the darker the shadow, and the more fire, the more, you know, fuel that's added all the time is just making the situation worse and worse and worse and worse, and it's not de-escalating, it's escalating, and it's unfortunate, and I feel like basically until something changes completely, like legitimately, like, you know, a cop shoots a gun that shoots a foam bullet that just encapsulates you in foam like in Futurama so you're just stuck in a big foam bubble or something you know it's like what would it take that it's finally like okay you know we're, we're all cool now you know it's really going to take like the, a change of you know like a, a huge change you know it's not just going to be continuing to just do the same arguments over and over and over again and I feel like in general that world and politic world is same thing as lawyers and all this stuff you know if you start off zero zero and you start off hey doc i want to talk about this subject oh cool we have a rational discussion that's awesome but if you start off right off the bat with just i heard you believe this and if you believe this you're crazy da, 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 you know like like who's gonna you know you can't get anywhere ever you know and lawyers and stuff they they, they put like a 200 percent thing against this person and then the other guy does a 200 percent attack against this person and it just settles itself out and ends up canceling each other out over and over and over again you keep on adding more and more fuel and it's just going to make more and more fire but you don't get anything done and it just doesn't go anywhere so like why can't people just agree like hey like can we meet in the fucking middle can we have a 50 percent can 
Can we agree that everyone, you know, deserves these rights? Can we agree that everybody, you know, should have this? Or, you know, we just got to get to a flat. Everyone's a person. Everyone gets this or that. And once once everyone's a little bit more settled, a little bit more, like, calm, then I think, you know, we can have more conversation. But I just feel like we're really – it's just – there's two sides that are just armed up, and they're all, you know, figuring out everything that is uh, – it, it, it's – it's a, it's a really weird time. Basically, I hate that it's such a sided thing and that I'm saying that they should be. You know, it's like, does, do Black Lives Matter? Obviously. Fuck yeah. Like, why is this even a discussion? Like, is there issues with the organization? Of course. Are there issues with every organization? Absolutely. Like, the police, you know, there's issues with, uh, you know, anyone at any job, there's issues, period. You know, but it's like, until we start treating each other as humans and it goes both ways, you know, it can't, it can't go anywhere. And I think we have to de-escalate and we have to get back to just like, you know, like, you know, what, where does it eventually go? You know, World War Three. you know, are we going to separate and have these weird little, you know, cities that do this and these other cities that do that, you know, like, is that better, is that worse, you know, is deleting the Electoral College good or bad, you know, like, it, it, there's, there's a lot of, like, interesting questions, and hopefully maybe we can get a third party in there, maybe we can do something to kind of change some stuff, but I think the old guys got to go. There's too many old people that are making decisions for people that they have no clue what they're talking about, you know, and I feel like yeah, it's not just one person in office, it's not, uh, you know, it's the whole chain of all the people telling them what to do, you know, so I just feel like, you know, stop picking so crazily on sides and realizing that there's common ground and find that common ground and then maybe just somehow get better, but yeah the common ground thing is something i notice a lot because like we have mutual friends that a lot of mutual friends probably too that argue about different things and you look at the arguments and and me as someone who doesn't really you know consider myself either side right. i'm like man you two you you the, these two sides are arguing and then they both kind of look similar at, at points you know they're both extreme with certain things but then the other thing too i think about is like you talk about that that lawyer conversation and how extreme it gets and that's like the whole social media thing, man. Like when I stopped doing social media like 10 years ago and I started doing it again, mainly to, to do this podcast and whatnot. And, and it's like, you see the, 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 the things, the tirades sometimes people go on. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, man, holy shit. And I got somebody that I, like an old coworker and he just constantly sends me links and this and that. And every day he'll talk to me. Oh my God, did you see this? Oh my God, did you see that? He's all worked up every day. I'm just like, dude, like, the only thing that's actually going to kill you or actually get you or actually eat out of all the things that they're worried about is you freaking out about them all the time, you know? And I really do think there's a weird thing about certain stress levels that you can hit or not hit. And it's like, you know, if your car runs out in the desert and the heater, you know, goes out, uh, you know, should you pee in the radiator to put some liquid in there? Like, yes, because it's going to get you to safety and you can fix the car later and, you know, flush the radiator. However, should everybody go out and pee in their radiator? Absolutely not. You know, there's certain things that need to happen from time to time, but, like, everything always doesn't happen all the time for everyone, you know, and I think that we've never been so connected. We've never had so much information at once, and it's interesting to see, you know, and uh, it's not there yet, but it's going to get really scary once this crazy, you know, deep fake stuff gets worse. You know, I can tell if it's a fake <laughs> Joe Rogan or not still, you know, saying this stuff, but, like, eventually, you know, like, it's going to be weird, you know, like, did Biden really say that? No, it's fake. Oh, they, they put up the wrong news, but, you know, or did, you know, this happen? Did this, you know, once once we start getting a little bit more weird hackery shit, then no one's going to trust anything more. It's going to get weird. 
because like you know fuck Fox News, fuck CNN. Like where I mean, who, where are you supposed to even get your information from? You know, it's all just pay to play bullshit. And that and that's and that's a whole another topic, the whole media thing, which I'm not gonna. Uh, right. I'm not gonna dive down that I think with. We all yeah. kind of agree in general. Yeah. Seen about you know like you know like it's yeah it's 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 not really done much for hardcore punk you know so whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, but kind of getting back into hardcore punk, uh, a question that. Uh, Rob Antonucci has kind of made a staple of the podcast now is uh, making sure that I ask people what their uh, Mount Rushmore is for their particular scene. So uh, let's hear yours for Rochester Hardcore. All right. Uh, this is going to sound, you know, maybe a little bit kiss-assy or whatever, but I got to put you up there because, you know, growing up with the band and stuff, it was always like, like, oh, man, how'd you get booked by Josh Lyons? Oh, man. You know, and that was, like, pretty big and pretty cool. And then, obviously... Uh, Rory and Standfast and everything. I mean, that guy had the, and still does, you know, have a, has a lot to stand for and is a really, you know, good dude. And he's also a person that's gone into business and used his skills and, you know, he's, uh, you know, definitely doing it right over at Ugly Duck. So props to Rory. Uh, also props to, you know, Brian Barron. And then, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in the food and beverage scene from all these bands still to this day. But, you know, either way, uh, I'd put, I'd put you, I'd put Rory. I'd probably have to put Nuge up there because he's definitely, definitely part of that. And I'd put, um, There's certain people that have like a face that we've seen more than others and certain people are like important but they don't really have like a lot of facial you know like presence or whatever like that like i, I did think that would be hilarious to put brian Rao on the back of the mountain though for some reason <laughs> give him that like black goat billy goat kind of thing you know <laughs> kind of back season, you know so uh, but, uh oh he's gonna love to hear that yeah 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 but, no, but, jesus that, 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 christ character, though, be, like, that motherfucker, but, like, yeah he's like he's right though yeah <laughs> Oh my God! He'll just be—he'll just be peering in. Right, right. I'm pretty sure he and Licky are the same person. Isn't that true? Right? Yeah, no. Oh God. But uh, yeah. Um, what four people on that thing? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, one more face. Uh, Greg Benoit, all day. Greg Benoit. Yeah, so he's he's a great dude. On top of that, he's been putting together the uh, history, and he's always been in that librarian mode. So it's great to see someone you know taking all the flyers and putting up the SoundCloud and all that. So uh, big props to Greg Benoit for sure. Yeah, definitely. Shout out to him. It's cool to see that he's been uh, documenting all this stuff. Obviously, he was a big influence on me wanting to do this podcast. Uh, like I said in the beginning of the episode, him and I are gonna do it. Uh, I'm actually calling it uh, 2001: A Rochester Hardcore Odyssey. 2001 for me was a big year because you know just booking shows and and a lot a lot of good records came out that year just when i started making the list but you and i had kind of talked i mean you you kind of referenced it a little bit with like other people that are doing like businesses and stuff so like what kind of ideas and ethics have you taken otherwise though from hardcore that you kind of can use as like an everyday guide and like you know parts of your life yeah um in general it's nice to be able to be able to take a punch like literally like in all aspects of it you know like how often have you been standing at a show and all of a sudden you didn't know the mosh part was coming or maybe the mosh part isn't even there and some dude just starts swinging because like he's just doing some windmills or something you get popped right in the face you're like okay you know uh that was that and you can't you know go run and hide obviously if you have a bloody nose or whatever you got to go take care of it but um you know it's, it's one of those things where you kind of learn a little bit of toughness i think that way but that can go a long way with uh you know you know being in business or you know getting up every day and going to work or doing that and also 
stage fright, you know, having to get up on stage and have a bunch of lights in your hands and it looks like lights in your face and, you know, talking to people after the show and interpersonal communication by, you know, having the, you know, it's, it's a job at a young age too, where you have to have this whole image and you're trying to be like these other bands and it's a huge process. But when you realize it, it's, it's kind of basic branding, you know, it's basic, uh, all the DIY stuff is super awesome to see, you know, it's not, do you have to hire an expert for everything all the time? No, just do it yourself, you know, and obviously now with the whole YouTube thing, the DIY, Reddit, you know, blah, 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 there's all, it's something, you know, anytime you buy or do anything, check the internet first, there's a guide and a YouTuber how to do it, you know, whereas for us, it was a little bit more like, all right, you know, the, the, this girl does pins, you know, and then this guy does shirts, and uh, this person does, you know, presses, but this person does little, too, you know, so everyone kind of had their own little expertise, but everyone came together, and uh, it was really cool just to see the, 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 the rugged DIY, you know, all the graphic designers from RIT making all the flyers, and uh, all the, all the, uh, the RIT scene, especially, you know, with the Dan Danger, and uh, um, all the Bad Business Kids and stuff, like, that was, that was a lot of big, big fun things here, for sure. Yeah, Dan Danger's definitely come out, come, come out, and done a lot of really cool stuff, it'd be cool to get him on and talk about artwork and stuff like that, um, but the DIY thing is something that's kind of been a prevalent theme throughout this episode, I feel like, and it's something that, that still kind of holds true to me, and it's just cool to see. I think other cities probably have this too, but it's it, like we've been talking about and referencing throughout the episode. I think a lot of a lot of our peers ended up kind of doing the DIY thing, and it's just cool to see that that's happened. So shout out to anybody here who is or has... And run their own business start a side hustle whatever it is uh -huh. like doing some fun little art thing or whatever just get on etsy do it brush it up yeah it's cool living in that era where it's so easy i don't want to say easy because obviously you have to put work into doing anything but there's so many different things that you can do with without really a lot of knowledge like i, I obviously didn't know anything about doing a podcast before i did this i just knew that like people like you and other people that I'd want to have this conversation with and, and document and, 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 you know, you learn as you go type thing. And I think with anything, you can just kind of get that ho hobby. So that pretty much wraps up all the questions and stuff. Um, oh, shit. No, actually. <laughs> so we were talking about crazy stories. I never told mine. Um, so you had a buddy that you and I would, like, kind of, I don't want to say party with. I'm sure we did, but I, I didn't really know him all that well. Uh, but he was kind of a quiet dude, uh, and I and I don't really remember his name. Maybe it was Alex or Kevin Costick. Kevin Costick. Okay, Kevin yeah. Again, I didn't really talk to him all that often, so I, you know, apologies. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we're talking about Water Street. So, so I had already kind of started drinking and partying and not going to quite as many shows. But obviously, if every time I die I was playing a bigger show at, at that time before they had really blown up. I was like, yo, I'm going to go to Water Street and see this. I want to say it was, it was probably like them and maybe Throwdown, but definitely Walls of Jericho, I think, was on that show. Mm -hmm. But either way, it was at the club site at Water Street, so we got a, a fucking, uh, like, a big railing and, like, a second level, like, a balcony type thing or whatever, I guess you could call it, where people would watch from above uh, the shows. And that's, how many feet up do you think that was? Like, 15 or 20? It was really high up. Like, it was, it, was, it was even higher up, I think, than the regular side, I want to say. But it was definitely, like, yeah, like, like easily uh, yeah like 20 30 feet you know yeah so i had never really again this is like one of those kids it's, it's almost like that movie waiting where you don't really see the kid say a single word throughout the whole movie and then all of a sudden at the end he does something crazy it's kind of like that where i like and again you probably had talked to this kid more because you're friends with him but i had never really heard the kid say more than two words 
yeah, he was also like a little bit younger than us, but at the same time also heard about how cool you were and how like you book all the shows or whatever. So he had that kind of a thing. He's like, oh man, like Josh, I'll just I'll just not say anything in front of him or whatever. I think he was a little shy. So again, you know, not trying to nail down the point too often that that I, I hadn't really heard this kid talk too much, but to me he seemed quiet anyways. So we're at this show. And I don't know how many people are there, but the club site at Water Street holds a pretty good amount of people. So there had to be at least three or four hundred people there that night. And uh, I'm standing in the back on the on the floor, kind of behind the pit. And all of a sudden, I just see that kid stand on the railing on the top of the balcony and just fucking jump off. Yep. And like classic hardcore photos and stuff. I've only seen a few sh- shots like that. Like that. Yeah. I've, 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 that's the first time I've ever been to a show or anything like that happened. You're going to break someone's neck underneath you or break your own neck, and uh, that's just how it is, you know? But, like, yeah, he's still alive. So He actually ended up playing drums for uh, that band Adriel uh, kind of later on, so yeah. What do you, again, you being more friends with him, like, what did he tell you about after that happened? Obviously, he was banned for uh, life from got, the club. He got yoked the fuck out and banned, uh, and banned forever, but um, he, he didn't, played he, outside thereafter. But I think he was, like, a little bit, like, you know, it's like, oh, uh, like, a little bit kind of sore, <laughs> but, um, Brian Young actually got kicked in the face at Hellfest from Unearth, similar situation where he like looked up and all of a sudden some uh, Reeboks was kind of right in his face. Yeah. So, uh, oh man, that yeah, that yeah, that but that, you know, yeah. from the ceiling that was like absolutely just like it was just like this block yeah. of hoodie and just dropped. Yeah, but I think about that kid jumping at fucking Water Street all the time still to this day because again, like me being a a, a, a big time stage diver back in the day and just seeing like. Right. The dude, the dude from No Justice doing really crazy shit. And I've seen video, pictures of, like, uh, rap bones from New York City jumping off of balconies. But I had never seen anything like that in person. It was just nuts. So, yeah, that's a good way for me to kind of end this conversation. You got anything else you want to add or any, any anything you want to plug or anything like that? I guess uh, that one was the first thing to go on. Um, later on, I had this project called Bill Shakes Beer. Uh, B-I-L-L-S-H-A-K-E-S-B-E-E-R. So that Farley stand up thing or uh, SNL skit, uh, but yeah, Bill Shakespeare is kind of like a hip hop funky shit, sort of just like jammy thing. But either way, um, there's a it's on Spotify, so we're gonna put the link up or maybe play the MP3 after this or whatever. And uh, so if you want to check that out, it's no longer a project, but it's kind of fun sort of background music. So if anyone wants to play anything like that or any style of music, I'm getting back into drums. And if anyone has a good track to play, let me know. But uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me for sure.
so that wraps up episode 28. Thanks to Nick Lemesis for doing the interview. As always, thanks to Rob Antonucci and Greg Benoit for all the help with the podcast. Thanks to my family for all the support. Check us out on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. See everyone real soon and stay safe.